This is the Jesus Habit Podcast, where we're using scripture and science to make your new nature in Christ second nature. This is episode 5 for Friday, September 13th, 2019. Why do you want to change? Simon Sinek became a YouTube sensation with his video, Start With Why. His concept has become a crucial idea for so many people and organizations. Around 6-8, we ask the question, what is the why that drives your life? What we are trying to do with that question is to help you figure out your motive. Your motive to change, your desire to change, will be as important to your success as deciding what you want to change and knowing how to change. There are a lot of reasons people want to change. Sometimes we're motivated by success. Sometimes we're motivated by failure. Some are motivated by family, providing for our loved ones and protecting them from harm. Sometimes we're motivated by fear, by what something is costing us, having something to prove, trying to fit in, or by some form of pleasure we seek. Some of these motivations are bad, others seem okay, but are they enough? Have you asked yourself why you want to change? You may have a lot of whys, but there is only one why that I believe has the power to sustain your transformation, and it comes back to where we started this week, your identity. Our identity has been stolen, and our motives have been altered with the loss of our identity. When you don't know who you are, you don't know why you do things. The devil isn't just an identity thief, he's a slave driver. He is desperate to keep you chained to your false identity and all the baggage that comes with it. The loser, as I often refer to him, does not want you to experience the very thing you were designed for, life. You are designed for life. God breathes his life into your lungs. Your very existence is evidence of the fact that you were designed for life. But the loser doesn't want you to know that. He wants to keep you chained to death and its desires. Jesus' death on the cross set us free from the power of sin and death. We are no longer slaves. Galatians 4, 4-7 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons... God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. Did you see that? Don't miss those two all-important words. You are. You are no longer a slave. You are his child. And since you are his child, you are an heir. You are. That's an identity statement. The first person way to say this is, I am. I am no longer a slave. I am God's child. I am an heir. In Romans 8, we see that we are co-heirs with Christ. In Colossians, we read that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, present tense. 
I know it doesn't feel like that, but just because your present experience does not correlate with the truth doesn't mean that the truth is wrong. Why do you want to change? Our youngest is seven years old right now. Our other three have stopped doing this, which makes me sad, but Harper will still climb right up into my lap without asking permission and without any kind of reservation. She'll curl up in my lap and snuggle with me for a while. It's one of my favorite things about being a dad. I loved it when our kids were infants and they would fall asleep on my chest. I loved it when they were hurt or sick and needed to be close to me. I hated the pain they were in, but I loved that they wanted my comfort. Hebrews 4, our memory verse, says that because of Jesus, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. That means you and I, as a son or daughter, can walk into God's presence and be treated not like a slave who would bow their head and cower in fear, but like a child who has the freedom to walk up to their father and climb up into his lap. God's Spirit in us cries out in unison with the Spirit of Christ the words a child would say to their father, Abba, Dada. Abba is the Middle Eastern version of Dada or Mama, the first words that come out of a child's mouth. A 2011 study found that 52% of toddlers say Dada before Mama. I know that drives mothers insane since they're the primary caregivers in many cases, but could it be that this is part of our design? Could it be that God wired us as human beings to long for our Father, and the fact that we do that as children simply echoes God's original plan for us? So what's my point? Like Paul has told us, Peter reminds us that we have escaped the corruption we were once enslaved to. And because of God's power and promises, we can participate in the divine nature. In other words, We weren't just set free from corruption so we could rest. We were set free from corruption because God wants divine participation from us. Where am I getting this? 2 Peter 1, 3-5. And now we get to the point. Now we get to the why. 2 Peter 1, 5. For this very reason. In other words, because of this. In other words, why? This is the reason why we want to change. This is the reason we are going to put in whatever effort lies ahead of us. The why that drives this transformation is divine nature participation. The why that drives our transformation is learning how to live and breathe and walk our new nature and identity. Grace is just the starting line. God didn't set us free from sin so we could rest on our laurels, whatever those are. Picture being chained up your whole life, never able to run, play, jump, or do anything beyond the reach of your chains. Then one day, a kind-hearted stranger with a familiar voice comes along, and before you could do anything to prove to this stranger that they should release you, he bends over and sets you free. Then... You just sit down where you were used to sitting. You don't run, play, jump, or do anything. You just sit there. Then the stranger with that familiar voice, seeing that you have no idea what to do, says, follow me. He knows that if you stay there, you'll probably go back to the chains. What are you going to do? 
This is what Jesus does for us, and so very much more. Setting you free from the chains is just the beginning. He has this whole idea of life ahead of you, but you just don't know where to even take the first step. He does. He, as we will learn in Hebrews, has already blazed the trail for us. He has already carved out the path. All we have to do is follow his lead. Sadly, however, many Christians, having been set free from the bondage of their corrupted life, myself included, willfully pick back up the shackles and put them on their souls. The shackles are still unlocked. They have no actual power to keep us chained up, but we give them the power. Can you imagine the foolishness of this situation? Can you imagine how the devil must mock us when we do this? Look at them! They've been set free, but they keep putting the shackles back on themselves. This is too easy. The amazing news is this. Not only have we been set free, we are already victorious. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says this, But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have, present tense, the victory. Not only are you set free, but your enemy has already been defeated. How would you fight if you knew you could see the future and see that you had already won? This truth is what makes Hebrews 12, 1-3 so powerful. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Why do you want to change? Since we are surrounded by so many who have gone before us and have testified to God's greater promise experienced in Jesus, may we all throw off everything that hinders us, those chains we choose to put back on, and the sin that so easily entangles that old corrupted desire. And let us run with perseverance. Don't stop. Never stop. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep going no matter what. Be resolved to do more than just start the race, finish it. Run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the trailblazer, and perfecter of our faith. That is why we change. That's our motivation for transformation. That is our motive to put in the effort and endure. In his book, You Can Change, Tim Chester says this, All too often, we think of holiness as giving up the pleasures of sin for some worthy but drab life. But holiness means recognizing that the pleasures of sin are empty and temporary, while God is inviting us to magnificent, true, full, and rich pleasures that last forever. I do not discount the enjoyment we get out of our old natures. We don't participate in them because they're boring and drab. We like it. But what we're giving up is nothing compared to what we were made for. Don't be hard on yourself for liking the corruption. That's all we've ever known. 
allow yourself to grieve the loss. Allow yourself to go through the process of not only putting this thing to death, but moving on. James 4, 7-10 through 10 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Grieve, mourn, and wail over your sin. Allow yourself to get over it like you would the death of a loved one because this is something you have loved. Do whatever it takes to move from this being something you love to being something you used to love. Die to it. Move on from it. Be set free of it. Because God is inviting you into so much more than what you're saying goodbye to. Sure, goodbyes are hard, but they're a lot easier when you're the one leaving for new and better things. And God is inviting you into something magnificent, true, full, and rich that lasts forever. How do you view what you need to give up? How do you see what you want to embrace? Why do you want to change? This is your invitation. Will you come and follow Jesus? www.thejesushabit.com